Well, there are multiple reasons that we struggle day in and day out. Where there are multiple reasons that cause us to to doubt or to question uh, the reality of our faith and of eternal things. But one of the main things that causes us trouble are our expectations. What do we really expect when we become a Christian? Now, we have this problem everywhere. I mean, I go to school, I expect to get smarter. Or at least to feel smarter, right? If I, if I you know, go to a gym, I expect to be healthier and stronger. I don't expect to go home and be sore and not want to get up the next morning. I mean, I have these expectations and I struggle against those expectations in every area of my life. But one of the things that I feel we need to, to talk about and address this morning has to do with the expectations we have of God and what we should expect in a Christian life. Most of us, I think, expect it to be a lot better and a lot easier than it actually is. I'm just going to say that. Maybe, maybe you don't. Maybe you're just expecting I'm going to become a Christian and it's going to be horrible. I don't know very many people like that. But if you exist, talk to me afterwards. But we think, well, if I'm a Christian, that life's going to get better and it's going to get easier and I'm going to be happier and all of these things we expect. And I'm trying to think, where do we get those expectations? Where do they come from? I think some of it's probably self-imposed. Some people become a Christian because life is so hard that, that surely becoming a Christian will make it better. Some people... Some people have those expectations, I think, because they've been oversold. Maybe they've seen a televangelist on TV who says, oh, you know, God wants you to be happy or rich or healthy or whatever. And so they have some expectations that aren't what God would communicate, but what a televangelist communicates. Some of us have those expectations, I think, simply because we come to a place like this with people like these and we look around, and everybody else's act seems to be together. So I must be the only one. And we expect that if we maybe hang around this group of people, our problems will go away and life will be easier and better. You know, I think it can come from any number of places. And it doesn't really matter where the expectation comes from. I think what really matters is that we get the expe- our expectations set uh, as they should be to match reality and to deal with what it means to be human in uh, a world where uh, we're disappointed constantly. And so that's one of my objectives this morning is to try and help s- reset your expectations, but not, not reset expectations in a way that, oh yeah, Pastor Scott says it's going to be a real bummer. But that's not what I'm really trying to do here this morning. Uh, what I'm really trying to do is uh, expose you to the Scripture that uh, is honest about the way that life really works and gives hope in the midst of that honesty. And that hope, uh, as has already been sung about, already been mentioned from the platform, comes 
from Jesus, His death and His resurrection. And it comes from the love of God that has been demonstrated for us by that act of Jesus. So I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. And we'll not only just uh, make sure our expectations are set properly, but once we get those expectations set, uh, we'll find reason that it makes an enormous difference to be a Christian. Romans chapter 5, I'll begin reading in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So here we have really a rehearsal of the good news. Of Jesus Christ. And the, the great thing I love about Romans 5, and this is important for you to see this as it's happening, as we're reading it, there is a transition that happens in these five verses from the theoretical to the practical. A transition that happens to, from what we believe to what we experience. And I think that it's God's intention that our beliefs end up matching our experience rather than uh, frustrating our experience. So, this is really how these first five verses come together. Since we have been justified by faith. That's, uh, uh, if you were here last week, that's the review of chapters 1 through 4. If you weren't here last week, then I, I commend them to you for you to read them this afternoon you might be encouraged and blessed by a rehearsal of the Gospel. But we are made right with God. That's what justified means. We are made right with God when we trust Him rather than when we perform or work or keep the law. So we're justified by faith. Once that happens, once you've been justified, then there are three results of that. Okay, That's what's in... That's what's here in these first five verses. The first result we looked at last week is in verse 1. We have peace with God. Once you've been justified with God, you are no longer at war with God. That's the first thing. The second thing then is in verse 2. We have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So one of the one of the second the second result of having been made right with God, number one is that you're at peace with Him. Number two is that you now have entered into a new sphere of existence in which the operating principle is grace. And then the third result of having been made right with God is that we rejoice in hope. We rejoice. 
in hope. And you can even see that somehow my rejoicing and my hoping is more practical than my believing and my grace. I mean, grace and faith are, you know, somewhat theoretical, but either I'm rejoicing or I'm not. Either I'm hoping or I'm not. Either I'm getting by in life because of joy and hope or I am not. And so it transitions from the, from the theoretical to the practical. So we're looking at the last two results of justification by faith uh, this morning. And the first one is that, uh, well, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's through Him that we obtain access by faith into grace in which we stand. It's by or through Him. And so whatever it is we're going to talk about the rest of the morning, whatever it is we're going to say we believe, it all must go down through this funnel of Jesus Christ. It is through our Lord Jesus Christ that the Christian life is lived. This is not a self-help program. This is not a believe-in-yourself message. We are not... We are not trying to to do better or to try harder, we are focusing our hearts and minds on Jesus and what He has done for us. That's why we have peace with God only through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the first benefit. The second benefit then is through Him also we obtain access by faith into grace. We enter in to something by faith. So, the same act of being justified or made right with God by faith, the, the, the secondary implication is that we then obtain access into grace by that same faith. You're trusting God, you enter into grace. And you do that by trusting, not by working. You do that by trusting, not by, by making restitution. You do that not by trying to do better and try harder, but by believing that Jesus has done everything necessary for you to have peace with God and joy in your life. By faith. Now this access, I mean, I'm trying to think about how you can think about access. I mean, Jesus... Jesus made it simple enough in John 14.6. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by Me. Jesus' words were, He is the means of access to the Father. No one comes to the Father except through Me. You can... I mean, that's, that's true and good and simple. There isn't a back door. There's not a way around. There's not Jesus and something else. No one comes to the Father except through Me. That's Jesus' words. Paul's words are, you obtain access by faith into grace. And then, he says, you find yourself standing in that grace. I'm trying to think about 
ways to help you recognize this. And one of the, one of the things Travis and I talked about in our preaching meeting was that you can think of it as a museum that the, the price of admission is so steep you can't afford it. But someone has given you the golden ticket. You can go in and, and you, you, you hand in the golden ticket. You go in and there you are in the museum. The person has, has bought your entrance into this new sphere of beauty and knowledge and enjoyment. Okay? For some of you, that sounds really stuffy. I'm sure. It does for me. Travis liked it. <laughs> for those of you who are, are um, science fiction buffs, okay? I, I can't bring myself to say it this way. But suppose there was this wormhole, right? And you're flying this ship and you go, you, you go into the wormhole and you come out into a different universe in which the rules of the previous universe no longer apply. Gravity somehow is different. Cause and effect is different. The laws of motion are different. I, There's different rules over here in this new universe. See, for me that works pretty well. Except I just can't bring myself to say that Jesus is a wormhole. I can't bring myself to say that. But it is kind of like that. Because what we're talking about now is this new universe, this new sphere of existence, this new world where grace is the operating principle. Instead of the operating principle of law or works or whatever it may be that, uh, that, that the rest of the world operates under. You have it later in chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. It talks about being under grace instead of being under the law. It's the same kind of idea, being in this sphere in which the operating principle is God's goodness to you apart from what you earn. I mean, the rules are very different. And you have access into that world because of Jesus. So, you can think of it this way. Christianity doesn't do very well for you if it's tacked on the outside of your life. If it's an additional thing like um, a book club or like a, a, a soccer club or your, you know, even a different job or a new car, something that's out here in the periphery of your life, if Christianity is there, it's not transformative in the same way. There, I mean, grace out here doesn't help me. It's once I enter into grace and now live in this n- completely new way of being... That's when it makes a difference. And so what he's saying is the result of being made right with God is that I'm right with God on account of grace, on account of God's favor that I don't deserve. God's kindness to me apart from my performance. I have access by faith in His grace. And it's, it's even better than that. I have standing there. I'm not just a nobody. I have standing in this grace. I'm over here. I'm somebody. And God loves me 
on account of my being here. Because the only way I get over here in this sphere of grace is because of His Son. His Son... His Son has died on the cross and rose again so that I might be made right. It's the end of chapter 4. And so all of this comes at a cost, the person of Jesus. So it is through Jesus that I have seen, that I obtain standing in grace, having received entrance into that. And that's, that's significant, that I am now in a new sphere of existence. And we're going to see that over and over and over. That a Christian lives, that the Christian life is now a whole different way of living than the previous life. It's not just a minor alteration, it's completely different. And that's what he takes up later in, in chapter 5 when he talks about being in Adam, which is over here, or going through the door of entrance and now being in Christ. Or being over here under the law of grace, or under, excuse me, under the law, as opposed to entering through Christ and now being under grace. So all, there's all sorts of ways. He talks about in chapter 8 of being in the flesh. Okay, the sphere or the way I exist is just a natural, visible way that I normally interact with people. Whereas now, having been transformed by Christ, I'm over here in a new way of living. And so I have peace with God. I have a new way of living. And then, this third result of being justified is that we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now this is, I think this is wonderful. The expectation of God about my new life is first of all that I have peace with Him. He is no longer at war with me. The second of it is, the second expectation that God has of me is that I will work, or I will live under the principle of grace not under the principle of law. My way of living now is a, is a way of grace. And his third expectation of me is that I will be rejoicing because I hope for the glory of God. I have hope over here in this sphere that I didn't have over here in this sphere. And that it's a happy hope. I rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, I, so I'm, I'm just going to say, I, mean, we, I read the text at the beginning of the message because I want you to, I want you to get the text. And some, there are some days the text is just so good that my continuing to talk about it doesn't help. Okay, this may be one of those days. There is so much goodness here that I, I can hardly contain it. But this theme of the glory of God is something that he has been attuned to the entire letter. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What are we talking about? <clears throat> what is the source of this hope? What is the source of this joy? It's the glory of God. Well, what does he mean by that? Okay. 
I think that he means it is the experience of God that makes us fully human. You might think that's too small of a definition, and it might be. But it it is the relationship or the perception of or the experience of God that makes us fully human. Now, I want you to see why I say that in the book of Romans. The first time we see the glory of God in, in Romans is when it is exchanged for things visible. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man or birds or animals or creeping things. They, they took their eyes off of this experience with God that brings hope and joy and deliberately, thinking they were wiser, exchanged it for what they can see. That is part of the problem. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God. They abandoned it or transformed it into something visible. If you were to continue, a verse that many of you know, all have sinned and fall short of what? Of the glory of God. Of what it means to be fully alive. What it means to be fully human. This experience that you would have with God, you have now lost it because of your sin and rebellion against God. See, the tragedy, the tragedy of sin is that it robs us of what would ultimately bring joy and ultimately bring hope. All of us have sinned and we fall short, really, of this, uh, of what God promises as this soul-satisfying, eternal experience of God. And so, we even have a hard time, you know, grasping that when we're thinking about. Um, you know, rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God because we've lost it. We've lost the beauty of God that would so transfix us that we would be happy with Him. That would so uh, draw out our souls above their circumstances. Our, our souls can't get above their circumstances. We fall short now of the very thing that would lift them out. We've exchanged it for the things that are visible. So he says, it is that very thing that you lost by sinning that being made right with God restores to you. You see, that's the beauty. That's, that's, that's the beauty. What it means to be fully alive, what it means to be fully human now has been restored to us. Because we've been justified by faith. Because we've entered into this grace. Because now we stand rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. And so what we believe then is that we will be one day 
with the Lord. We believe the hope of heaven is not perfect temperatures and fluffy clouds and golden streets, but the glory of heaven is that we will be in God's presence satisfied fully forever. That was lost to us by sin. It has now been regained by Jesus. And we rejoice in it and we hope for it. And that is what we believe and that is what we profess. That's, that's the simple message of the Gospel. Uh, even, you know, what Jesus said. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but has eternal life. That's what we mean by eternal life. This hope of the glory of God. That's what we profess and that's what we believe. But that's not what we experience, is it? Because what we experience is the next verse. Not only this, we rejoice in our sufferings. Now, it just, it's just like a, it's just like a punch in the gut to me that he would say, we rejoice in hope. And then without even taking a breath would say, not only that, we rejoice in suffering. I was so into rejoicing in hope. I'd really like not to have to rejoice in suffering, okay? Guess what? You don't get one without the other. You don't get just immediately transferred from your present circumstances to eternal glory when you believe. Rather, this process of becoming fully human involves suffering. This process of enjoying God and His glory involves suffering. But the process that is driven by suffering is so certain that to have a creed that says we rejoice in hope is unaffected by suffering. Having a belief system that says we hope for the glory of God, that, that is not phased at all by the reality of pain and affliction and suffering. In fact, it is the pain and affliction and suffering that ensures this hope. That communicates to your soul that this hope is truly yours. Look at what he says. We rejoice in our sufferings. I think, how can that happen? Well, we rejoice in suffering because we know that suffering produces endurance. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And you know that, right? I mean, it's one thing to suffer in an instant, but none of us do that. Our suffering, and we're suffering, is prolonged. It's the fact that we suffer today, we suffered yesterday, we suffer today. We will probably suffer tomorrow, in fact, 
for much of our suffering, there will be no relief in this life. There are relationships that will never be restored. There is health problems that will not get better. There is a sense of failure that may not go away. And what you do when you suffer more than one moment in a time, at a time is that you endure. Suffering over time is endurance. To suffer is to produce endurance. And it's no, no surprise then that enduring or suffering over time produces character. And you think about that. I mean, people who are true to their word when the heat is on, when it's painful for, the, for them, those are the people you trust. Those are the people whose character has been tested and proved. That's what, it, that's what suffering over time does. Is it proves your character. I mean, the, in fact, that's even the Greek word where it, it's like refining the dross out of the silver. You are proven by your suffering. Now, all of that I get. Right? Suffering, endurance, uh, proven character. And character produces hope. Now, in this whole sequence, right, suffering, endurance, proven character, the biggest leap seems to be back to hope. But you see, hope does not disappoint us. Hope does not put us to shame. The hope that we have, this, thing, this creed that we said we believe, will not disappoint us. And so, at the end of this process, we have this, this refined character that then attaches itself to that hope. This is, these are not two separate things. This is a different way. This is the practical way of getting back to the hope. It's one thing to profess it. It's another thing to experience it. It's another thing to talk about. It's another thing to need it. It's one thing for me to affirm that I rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. It's another thing for that to be beaten into my life as I suffer. Because ultimately, this suffering... And the very fact that your life didn't get better when you believed in Jesus. Or maybe it did get better, but it it still has more problems than you wish it had. That is confirmation for you. That you are getting back to the hope. And the hope doesn't put us to shame. Now, I just want you to see before we finish the thought here in Romans chapter 5, once you see that this glory of God, this suffering, this hope, all of this is a major theme in the book of Romans. I started already talking about the glory of God being exchanged in chapter 1, being lost in chapter 3, now being recovered when God makes us right with Him. Look at chapter 8. 
For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy, worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. He doesn't, he doesn't categorize the suffering. He doesn't say some suffering and not other suffering. He doesn't say if it's self-inflicted, it's different than if somebody else inflicts it on you. He doesn't say if it's a financial suffering and not health suffering. He, he doesn't say. He says the sufferings of this present time, there's no assumption those are going anywhere. They're not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. The hope of the glory of God. The suffering leads to the hope of the glory of God. And it's a bigger deal than just you. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. See, all of the natural disasters, all of the things that, that are so painful in our human existence, the things you read about in the news, all of that is one, those are ways of reminding us that this world is not our home, that it is not right here. It's just not right here. And it won't be right here until that final day. Until all of that suffering fades away and the glory is revealed that we hope for. This glory that suffering points us to. So that we have hope in the glory of God even as we suffer. Even as creation suffers and other people suffer. One day, there will be no more bondage to corruption with either people or things. Instead, there will be for all of creation freedom that comes from the glory of God when it appears to the children of God. That's when we will be fully human. That's when we will be fully Alive one day. And we hope for that. And the suffering reminds us that this world is not our home. Don't exchange what you see for the glory of God. Don't choose sin over the glory of God and abandon the only hope you have for relief. Relief doesn't come from your own effort. It comes from being justified by faith in Christ and His work so that you stand in grace now. And I say it's a big leap, right? From proven character to hope. And it is. And so what makes the leap? What makes the leap here is that God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit He's given us. You're not expected to get from suffering to endurance to proven character to hope all on your own. 
God has given you His Holy Spirit and His role is to remind you that even in the midst of this suffering, in the, in the midst of this human experience that is not happy, that the Lord loves you. So much that He has included you now in this new universe of grace. So much that He has given His own Son. In fact, I, I'm trying to leave it alone. But next week, next in, in verse 8, okay, God demonstrates His love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, it is important to God that you feel loved by Him. Okay, being loved by Him does not equate to Him removing all of the obstacles in your life. Does not does not equate to Him solving all of the problems. What being loved by God equates to is being included in Christ so that you have a sure and certain hope that gives you a perspective on this world and this suffering that other people don't have. That enables you to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God even in the midst of less than desirable circumstances. And so, in order to accomplish that, He showers you. He pours out into your heart. He drenches you with the love of God because of His Holy Spirit. The role of the Holy Spirit, then, one of the things that He does for us, one of the reasons that God gives the Holy Spirit to those who have been justified, at that very moment when you, when you pass from law to grace, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of His dear Son, one of the things that you get there is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's role is to say to you in the moments that are the darkest, the light is not yet dawned. The light is coming. It is evidenced in the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. You see, the beauty of the resurrection of Jesus is that it ensures that this new day is dawning and that your hope is secure. And so, that hope won't disappoint us. Won't disappoint us because Jesus is risen from the dead. And because God's love is poured out into your hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to you. And so my, my hope in thinking about my expectations and yours in this moment, if I could set it right, and trust me, it needs to be set for me, not just daily, but probably hourly. Okay, so I, I know this is not the reset by me saying this. Okay, but this is what I this is what I hope it'll be set for in my own heart. I don't expect all my problems to go away. I even expect that some of them will be self-inflicted. Okay. But what I do expect is that now that by faith I am included in Christ. That now, I, I, now that I stand in this new universe of grace, that even though I have the suffering, I also have hope. It's not going to last forever. This world doesn't win. The suffering doesn't win. It's not final. The Holy Spirit is here with me 
even in the middle of this suffering, bearing witness that I'm a child of God, that God loves me. And so my expectation is that this next world, this one yet to come, evidenced by Jesus' resurrection, that 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 is my Christian hope. So that what gives me the rejoicing is not this now in my present circumstances, but this in the eternal promise of God in which I hope. And so what do I do? I put one foot in front of the other day by day, little by little, walking in faith, not trying to earn God's favor, but believing that I have His favor whether I deserve it or not. That's what it means to stand in grace. And so that through my suffering, there's going to be endurance and proven character. But, that, but even that suffering points me back to what I say I believe, which is that the best is still yet to come. My hope is not in this world. See, no one else can say that with certainty except those who have been justified by Jesus. Those who are trying to earn their own justification to be made right with God by their works, they can't say that because they're not sure if yesterday's covered or tomorrow they'll stick with it. But I can be sure because of what Jesus has done. And so my, my hope that gives me great joy is one I hope to share with you. And that is that one day, one day we'll all be changed. One day the promise of God will be fulfilled in us and we will experience His glory instead of sin. And it'll be good. And our hearts will be happy. Let's pray.